today changes my whole entire life. Welcome to Gridability, a podcast about the power of perseverance, overcoming seemingly insurmountable odds to attain the life of your dreams. I'm your podcast host, Adam Clausen. With me in the studio today is the always ever radiant and beautiful Ro Clausen. Ooh, love that intro. Hello. Hello, hello. I'm loving the glasses. You are? These are my blue light blockers. Hmm. Well, I, I love it. You got the whole like teacher, hot for teacher thing. I'll take it. <laughs> Let's roll with it. Speaking of. <laughs> Speaking of hot for teacher. Well, relationship. I don't relationships. Know, that's what it's all about today. We're talking about prison relationships. No, not those kind. Not the kind in the prison showers. Ew. No, like the kind that take place between someone on the inside, someone on the outside. And... Honestly, I mean, that's like, that's not only our story, but there are so many stories, so many people that reach out to us and, you know, that we've connected with who've um, had some amazing success uh, in finding, you know, the person that they love while incarcerated, as crazy as that may sound. Just last week, we were with Michael Santos and his wife, Carol. Michael was a, a guest on our show. Like they are definitely a success story and it was amazing. We got to spend a couple of days with them in their home, seeing how they work, how they live, because they've really integrated the two. And it was cool to hear firsthand from them, you know, some of the challenges that they faced and, and similarities in our, in our stories and to find someone that really understands what we went through. That was very, very cool. So uh, kind of brought up, some memories of like where things started for us and the challenges i'm gonna say challenges on my side um, with prison relationships because prior to us getting together um man i had been and i've made reference to it before but i had been in like a toxic relationship and just to be clear like the toxicity of it was um, probably 90% my fault, right? I mean, just being honest, like all of the negative history, I was the one who had, who had caused all of the harm. I didn't know how to, to be loving, how to be committed in a relationship. I just, um, I didn't have that. I didn't have that experience in my youth. So all of my relationships were, were pretty well damaged by my own hand, by my account. Um, but when you end up with a 213-year sentence, right, like you hold on to whatever's there. And I had a relationship with um, you know, a girl that I was with in high school that I you know, felt like was the love of my life and was going to figure out how to make it work. And then I get 213 years and it's like, well, <laughs> and I, I should, full disclosure, like she was with me for a couple of years when I was in the state prison. So, because remember, you know, it wasn't my first rodeo. I had done time in New Jersey in the state. And instead of going to college, you know, I didn't even graduate high school, but I ended up in, in state prison. And man, she was 
incredible. Like she stood with me. You think about that age, 18, 19 years old, like who does that? And she stayed with me and I didn't fully appreciate it. And I'm going to give you one example of just how messed up I was. She came up for a visit and it took like two hours to drop off a food package because the visit was mobbed. So in my mind, she's two hours late to get in and I'm, you know, sitting there this whole time waiting on my visit. I've taken off my shirt. I'm like, I, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not getting a visit. So when they call me, they're like, Clawson, you got a visit. I'm like, nah, I'm not going out there because I was mad. I was like, she's two and a half hours late. Oh my God. Like I still, I deeply regret that. And that's the majority of the stories that I heard throughout the years, unfortunately. Yeah. There's just, that's when it's all about you, right? And, and let's be honest, you know, if you're involved, if you're living that life, it generally is. It's very self-serving. It's all about you. It's very selfish. You know, I, guys that used to tell me, well, like it's my, my family, my family. I was like, listen, if your family was first, you'd be doing whatever you need to do to stay on the outside and, and make sure that you were with them, but you weren't right. And I was one of those people who was out there running crazy. And when I ended up in prison, you know, um, my mind was just all messed up. I thought it was all about me and I didn't appreciate that. So anyways, eventually she decided to leave and the irony is the day that I got the quote unquote Dear John letter, and if you don't know what the Dear John letter is, it's the goodbye letter that almost everyone gets while they're in prison. Um, so I get this Dear John letter the same day that I come back from court on getting a sentence reduction. <laughs> How ironic is that? Wait, what? You got a sentence reduction? I got a sentence reduction because I initially had a 12-year sentence with a four-year mandatory minimum. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking on the 213. Okay, No, this is on the state prison got sentence. It. Sorry. So I come back from court that day and, you know, I find out that I'm actually now eligible to go to parole. And although, you know, parole is backed up and I, I don't know when I'm going to get in there and I don't know if I'm going to get granted parole but I'm suddenly eligible. It's like, wow, everything's changed. It's like, wow, I could be getting out. And I vividly recall getting the letter before I even opened it. I was like, ooh, there was like bad energy on the letter that I just felt. And I go back to my bunk because everyone's excited. They're like, dude, you got a sentence reduction today. Like, wow, that's amazing. So I did, I got a break on that first sentence. And I go back and I sit down on my bunk and I open this thing up and I vividly recall the first sentence says, I feel like I've wasted these last few years of my life. And it's like, oh, not today. Like what? And after Count, I went out there, I tried to get on the phone. She wouldn't answer. She wouldn't answer. And man, I felt so alone, so abandoned. Again, remember it was all about me. And you know, I didn't think at that time about everything that I had put her through. That wasn't a consideration. For me, it was all about like, man, I get this huge break. She leaves. Like, what am I going to do now? Because my whole plan had, had been built around trying to get out or getting out and trying to figure out how to make it work with her and, you know, moving forward. So my plans changed pretty dramatically from that point. So, you know, that stayed with me. 
that sense of abandonment, of being left, uh, so that when I went in, back in, with 213 years, and I reached back out to this same ex who had decided to leave previously, um, and, and, you know, some relationships are harder to let go of just because of the history that you have, so we're communicating, we're going back and forth, and I'm like, I feel myself pulled back into this relationship, and I don't know how much of that was me just feeling like I needed someone or something to cling to. Um, but man, it was so unhealthy because she was at a very unhealthy point in her life where like her daily habits were definitely not aligned with mine. And we went further and further apart because when I chose to get sober, when I chose to focus on all of my physical, mental health and well-being, you know, we, she stayed the same. She was on that same path. And I hit a point where it was like, okay, if I were to get out tomorrow, because that's what I'm, I'm banking on that at some point I'm going to get relief, right? Like this is my mindset. I'm holding on to the hope, to the belief that I'm going to get relief and say it happens tomorrow. When I walk out the door, like, am I really going to have a future with her? Like we have grown so far apart. I'm all about this fitness, health, wellness. Like I'm on this path and she's still over here. How is that going to work? Like, do I think that I can somehow save her? You know, get her on this new healthy path that I'm on? Does she want that? And I had to come to, you know, the harsh realization that, man, uh, even though I've cut off all these other relationships that I saw that were obviously negative relationships, I think it's time for me to, to end this relationship as well. And for any guy in prison, especially those who are serving a life sentence, a 213 year sentence to say, okay, I think I'm done with this relationship. You can imagine how that's going to go. Right. But I do want to interject yes, because I worked with and coached prison wives for many years. And literally 100% of them, when the guy first went in, broke up with her. And it lasted about six weeks. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> we've been down this road. Because, like, how could he break up with me? He's the one in prison, blah, 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 while he's getting adjusted. And then I'm like, just hold on. Just hold on. You know, I'm not saying that it's the right relationship or you should take him back. But he's going to come back. So, yeah, I know, like, what guy in prison. But they all, as far Inevitably. Yeah. There, there is. There is a certain adjustment phase and a cycle that you go through. It's like a, there's a grieving phase. A hundred percent on both ends. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Grieving. You've lost someone. Someone gets incarcerated. The person who's incarcerated is grieving the loss of their liberty, of their freedom, of their sense of self. And once they get through that then they seek the connection again and they want what's familiar, which is why so many guys in prison reach back out to exes. And for many of those exes, it's an opportunity for them to have a position of control in that relationship. Whereas maybe they didn't feel like they had that before. Like he was out, he was running around, he was, you know, doing whatever. And, it wasn't a healthy relationship. Now they're like, okay, now you're in there. Like 
now I'm driving. I can see it from both sides. Yeah. I don't, I think in order for you to have a healthy relationship, you both have to be willing to move beyond that. Uh, that's why I always say too, if there is a lot of history, negative history, that's so tough to think that you can somehow, you know, leave it all in the past and we're just going to fresh start, clean start. We're going to move forward. Some people can, but to find two people who can do that, who can both leave that behind. I don't know. I'm just not, I'm not a believer in that. Right. I don't think that that's generally going to happen. It has to be two very, very, very mature people that don't weaponize the things that happened between them in the past and can genuinely let them go. Otherwise I don't think it would work. Good choice of words, right? You cannot weaponize those things, especially when you have all that history. Um, So for me, it was about, uh, you know, when I made that decision to end that relationship, obviously that wasn't received too well. But for me, um, I vividly recall what I did was I had a phone conversation and what kind of helped was the acknowledgement, us being honest on the phone. And I found out uh, some of the history with her and my best friend. So that kind of, it kind of helped in a strange way. That's not strange at all, in my opinion. Yeah, for me to say, okay, like this is definitive. This is just so unhealthy. It's time to move on. And I went back to my cell and I said, okay, I started writing and I said, I am going to offer up all of my thoughts free flowing as they come out. I'm going to write them. I don't know exactly how this is going to end, but I'm going to take you along on this ride as I process and and get to the end. And when I was at the end and I had written everything out and it was like, I don't know, it was maybe 20 pages and it was all the history and it was just like, okay, I was totally resolved. I was like, and that's the end. And I folded it up. I put it in the mail. And that literally was the end of that relationship. And in that moment, there was such a sense of relief because I think I had been carrying so much of that past, of that baggage and feeling responsible for the point she was at in her life, which was negative. And part of me was letting go of that responsibility as well and saying, okay, Like she's an adult. She needs to move forward. I need to move forward. This is a clean separation for us both. We need to do what's best for ourselves. And from that point on, I started becoming very intentional about what I did want in a relationship. And I've shared this before. The same energy that I put into that letter, I put into writing an exhaustive list of what my ideal partner would look like. And I put it all out there. And I realized when I got to the end, I was like, man, I was like, you know, this is very different from any relationship I've ever had. And if I can find this partner, I was like, man, my life would be good. Like that's a future I can envision for myself. Like that's where I want to be. And I did that and I got everything that I asked for everything that was on that list, mm-hmm. which is a miracle. It's impossible to, you know, believe, but that's what happened. Um, but I had to let go of the negative. And the problem is in 
99% of those prison relationships, even though the individuals, both of them, have, you know, uh, their intuitions telling them, like, listen, this isn't going to work. It's not going to work. It's not the right fit. It's not good for me. It's not good for that person. They hold on to it anyways. They hold on to it, and it generally does not end well. That's why there's so few success stories like ours, like Michael and Carol, like Sean and Annie, um, and a number of other relationships that we know of individuals who were fortunate to make it through. Uh, but it's definitely in the minority. It's in the minority. And I think it depends. And Kat and Don. Kat I mean, and Don, can't yeah. mention them. But I think like a lot of people have to get to the point where both parties, right? But specifically, I'm talking about the person that's incarcerated has to mature, right? Because in all of the couples that you mentioned, there is a level of maturity in all four of you that there's a kind of like a common theme, right? And I remember way back me telling you, like, I don't, I don't know if I want to like, this is going to sound so stupid, but hold you down because you're inside. And like, what if you get out, you know, tomorrow and you want to go explore and like, for lack of a better phrase, this is the stupidest phrase, but like so wild oats, right? Because, or make up for lost time. And I think that a lot of the relationships that don't work are, um, people that the guy gets out and he's like, wow, I want to experiment. Like I want to, you know, see other women, enjoy other relationships and quote, make up for lost time. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently saw a clip of Love After Lockup, which I don't watch, so I'm not really very familiar, but I actually had a different reaction than most people because the inmate called and he was like, listen, like she's pushing marriage, which I see a lot with women in prison relationships, pushing marriage right away. And I always, I'm like, what's the rush? <laughs> but she's pushing marriage and he's like, I'm telling you, and this isn't the first time I'm telling you, I don't want to get married. When I get out, I want to date other women and everybody was like oh he's such an asshole this and that and I'm like I respect him for that I respect him for being honest because what I've seen throughout the years is a lot of dishonesty and, mm. and you know oh yeah I'll be with you baby just keep sending me money and then he's gonna want to go do his thing and maybe there's like five babies I'll be with you all at the same time where this guy was being genuine and honest and that's what I tell everyone like you can work through anything in a relationship or work yourself out of the relationship as long as there's honesty if he's saying, I don't want to marry you because I want to be with other people, you have to hear those words and not keep pushing marriage, thinking that's going to make him change or mature or this or that. Very true. And listen, prison is generally not the place where someone's going to grow up and mature. It just doesn't happen. Prison's not set up to promote that, right? No. And there was this TikTok trend going on years ago when I saw it and I made a video about it. I don't know if it's still going on, but like it was a write a prisoner challenge where all of these young, young high school girls Ooh. were challenging each other to go on write a prisoner and find the love of their life, right? And they're and these kids are like giving their mom and dad's address. High school. High, high school. school. So first of all, that should be illegal, right? It, that shouldn't be illegal, yeah. But yeah, and they're giving their moms and dads address and they're like, the worse the crime, the better because I'm right a prisoner. I guess it says like what they did. Yeah. And it was crazy. What? And it was like this big TikTok thing that I made a response video to this young girl who came crying to me. It was like, take the video down. My mom and dad don't know that I'm writing to this guy. Like, so on one hand, she's like, she thinks oh she's all thug. And, yeah. So prison's not the place to go find a relationship, guys. No, Come on. no, no. 
No, no. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow, that's just wrong on so many levels. I didn't know anything about that. I hope it's, yeah, it's still not. I do. Listen, when I first got into, ended up in prison, yeah, the internet was there. It, it was not the internet that we know it today. We were just talking about MySpace. Most people are not even going to get that reference. You're not going to know what Ouch. MySpace is, right? But there were not the dating sites that there are today. There was no Tinder. There was no, what are they, what was the other one that was just brought We're up. out of the game. Match.com, <laughs> what, whatever, whatever those dating sites are that people are using, those didn't exist, right? So if you went online and you were looking for somebody like to connect with, prison pen pal websites like popped up. The algorithms were not as tight as they are today. Like you have to be looking for a prisoner to find like writeaprisoner.com. Yeah. So that doesn't that doesn't accidentally slip into your feed. Um, but back then it did. And a lot of people, you know, met people that way. I had a good friend who I met through that. And it was kind of like a joke where they wrote and they wrote myself and a couple other guys who were on this site. A couple of us were at the same prison and they're like, man, is this, is this for real? Are you guys really in prison? Like we're writing these letters. We need, we need to know. And they were working at a college at the time in the admissions office. And that's how I initially met Karen and started corresponding with her and just became good friends. And she became an advocate. Um, and you know, unfortunately, uh, there came a point where, uh, I made a decision where it was for our relationship. Like it was just better not to continue that relationship. That was tough, but it was to be in contact with, to have a relationship while you're in prison, you have to set some very clear boundaries, right? If it's going to work, Again, first, you have to be open and honest. And for me, it was about being completely transparent in everything. Um, like I ran basically all of my emails and things through you. We did my website. And by doing those things, I, I think for us, our relationship, that helped to not only like bring us together like Team Clausen, like where we were working on this shared vision of the future together, but there was never any room for any doubt to creep in and, and other people because they just weren't, a, they weren't a part of our relationship. And that was a conscious decision to do that based on the other relationships that we saw around us where other people were struggling, where there was jealousy, where there was, there was a lot of lying a lot of, on both sides. People are just lying about the relationship. And, you know, we made a conscious decision to do things differently. And listen, I, that served us well then, and it serves us very well now, you know, and there are plenty of things that I think that we do that a lot of husbands and wives like would look at and be like, you do what? Wait, like what? I would say first and foremost, like our phones. Oh, like we have each other's passwords? Not just passwords. Like we d can open them up and like, hey, I'm like, can you send so-and-so a text or oh, yeah. whatever? We go back and forth on each other's phones. I don't think a, a lot of even like seemingly healthy relationships where people are 
probably just not comfortable with that. But because of everything that we've been through, I, th I think there are certain things where we're just much more open and transparent and it makes life so much easier. Well, nothing's, yeah, nothing's open for misinterpretation. Yep. So, and those were lessons from prison. That's what we gained from our prison relationship. There was a lot of things that we learned early on that we had to learn. We had to get past all of the pettiness, any jealousy. A lot of people trying to meddle. Oof. A lot of people trying to, trying to get involved, get in our business. And that's the thing. And I think that's part of the reason why we talked about bringing up this episode period was that in any relationship, prison or not, I think you have to work through the kinks. You know, not every relationship, there's going to be kinks no matter what, right? In every relationship when you're starting it out and you have to decide if those are things you're going to work through or if you're like, nah, it's not the relationship for me. And then you kind of have to shut out the outside noise because like in that situation with that friend, in a situation with a friend of mine that I had to cut off because she and her boyfriend who was locked up with you, they were meddling in our relationship. That happened to me twice by two different friends. And it was just stirring a pot for whatever reason, if they're bringing in biases from their own relationships or casting judgment because of their own insecurities or whatever it is, then it's just shut out the outside noise, whether that means cutting people off or just asking them, listen, we're not going to talk about my relationship. We could talk about other things. Just depends on where you are in that relationship with that person and then letting it go and figuring it out between the couple. Love it. Love those points. And it's all about, yeah, reduce the friction. Anybody that's creating friction in your life, it's time to get rid of them. Yeah. Like you don't need them. And especially, you know, if, if your relationship is your priority, you want to make sure that it works. That's the person that you need to be in tune with, right? You got to shut out all the rest of the noise. And I think that's a good place for us to wrap and take it out of here today. It's been another incredible episode of Gridability. We love you guys. We love having the opportunity to share this with you. We'll see you right back here on the next episode.